Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize Your Midlife. I am so glad that you are here today, and I'm especially excited because I have not one, but two guests on the podcast today. The first guest that I have today is Sandy Brager, and Sandy learned about financial planning back in college. And though she started her career in accounting, she has had the pleasure of working in wealth management, and she works for Experient, and she has ever since. And for over 20 years, she has been fueled by a passion to help people make good and meaningful financial decisions and to see the impact of those decisions on their lives. In addition to working at Experient, Sandy co-hosts the podcast Money Tales. And in addition to Sandy, I have Cammie here. And Cammie Doder also works at Experient with Sandy. And she is absolutely passionate about empowering her clients to navigate and make informed decisions in the sometimes murky waters of the financial world. She is also the co-host of Money Tales, the podcast, and she's really excited to expand the knowledge and really the comfort regarding talking about money through the telling of personal stories. And we are going to talk a little bit more about the Money Tales podcast later on the show. But in the meantime, welcome to the show, Sandy and Cammie. Thank you, Bree. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Bree. All right. Well, as you know, (laughs) my first question on every single podcast is asking what your age is. And I always joke that this is the only podcast where it's appropriate to like dive in with that question (laughs) right off the bat. So how old are you, Sandy? Bria, I had to do a little bit of math. Um, I remember a time (laughs) in my life when I didn't, I I could just pop the age right out, but I'm 51 years old. Awesome. And Cammie, what about you? Well, Bree, I like to ask, is this in my heart how old I am or in, in according to my birth certificate? Oh my gosh. Well, there are two answers, 100%. So feel free to share both. <laughs> in my heart, I'm 35. In reality, uh, I am 55. All right. I, I know. My mom had told me like a million years ago that there's a time when you look in the mirror and you see something and your inside doesn't match it. And it yes. meant nothing to me when she said it. And now I'm like, yep. <laughs> 100%. We definitely have our spirit age. So I'm excited to kind of dive in and talk about money and about what you guys do and how you help people. And this has been a topic that I have spent 
the last two and a half years really, really trying to understand and dive in more myself. So I was so excited to hear from you both. And from what I understand, you're both partners at Experient, which is a wealth management company. And where are you guys located? Sandy, where are you? Cammie and I both work out of our San Francisco office. Asperian is headquartered in Los Angeles. We have offices up and down the coast of California, in the Midwest, on the East Coast, and in Austin, Texas. So we're a national company. Awesome. Cammie, do you work from your home? I do. Sandy and I both live north of the Golden Gate Bridge in a county called Marin. Uh, our homes are very close to each other, which which is fun. Um, but yeah, we're both uh, Northern California people. I love it. And were you working from home pre-pandemic? <laughs> no, no. Uh, very much going into the office five days a week. And, um, you know, that just felt very natural. And now it's such an interesting question because it feels unnatural, though, going into the office a little bit is nice because you've got one or we have some wonderful colleagues. It's really nice to see. Yeah. I actually owned my own business for 19 years and my whole model was a work from home model. So I was like ahead of the pandemic game. But I used to joke with my husband that I wanted to just like have a cube at his office so that I could come in and be like, good morning. Do you want a coffee? (laughs) (laughs) Because you miss that. Mm -hmm. You miss that. So, okay, good. Well, let's dive into the nitty gritty about all of this. So something that has really kind of dawned on me in recent years is just how much emotions affect the way that people look at their money, that they think about their wealth. And Sandy, I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about the emotional tie and connection that there really is to money. Yeah, it, it's a strong connection, Bree. So um, the way we like to talk about it with clients is that there's two sides of money. And sometimes I'll, I'll pull up a dollar bill. We have the side with you know the face on it, which is the technical or the intellectual side of money. When people think about personal finance, that's usually what they're thinking about. Budgeting, tax planning, estate planning, investments, all of that is very technical. But the other side of money, if you flip that dollar bill around and mentally draw a little heart on it, that's the emotional side of money. Um, That's our relationship with money. It's the money scripts we learned when we were kids. It's our experience with money. And all of those emotions are really important because they take over. They're really in charge of the decisions we make about money. And so it's really important when we are doing work with our clients who are corporate executives, family business owners, and entrepreneurs to really understand where they're coming from emotionally, understand what their relationship is with money so that we can use that to help understand what's most important to them and create plans and execute on them in ways that help them make uh, sense and and create and achieve all the things that they want to do. So I I think that's really uh, an important thing that you've observed, Brie, and I would encourage all of your listeners to really pay attention if they aren't already to what their emotions around money are. Yeah. And I like the visual that you just gave that there's, you know, two sides to the money conversation because I think a lot of times we don't even recognize that other side. And I had a conversation with my business coach recently, Marion Wagner, and we started talking about pricing and she stopped me and she's like, Brie, I don't know if you realize this, but your whole demeanor, your whole body language, everything changes about you when we start talking about money. And Mm. 
Though I didn't notice this, I wasn't surprised by it. I grew up in a house with a single mom. We never had money. I mean, in fact, a lot of my childhood, we were on food stamps and my mom was, you know, getting her degrees in college. And I definitely have, you know, inherent money issues. No matter where I've been in the financial kind of spectrum, I have always had this scarcity mindset. In fact, one of the things my sister and I joke about is the way that we like hoard paper products. Like if you open up our cabinets, we have so many rolls of paper towels <laughs> and toilet paper because we we were like so poor that my mom would buy one roll of toilet paper at a time. And so that, you know, sticks with you no matter where you are. And I grew a seven-figure business. And so it uh-huh. doesn't make sense. But I'm just wondering, Cami, to you, is it just me <laughs> or do other people kind of experience this scarcity mindset no matter where they're at in their financial lives? Bria, it's it's definitely not just you. And it's, you know, you have really a strong reason for this scarcity mindset from from your background, of course. But what a recent podcast guest of ours talked about on the Money Tales podcast was how we all almost inherently have scarcity mindsets. And it can be around money. It could be around time. It can be around many things. And it's almost like that primal uh, instinct in ourselves. What we're working with high net worth clients, financially successful clients. So someone might assume if they're not financially successful, well, those folks, there's no way they have a scarcity mindset. And you know what? They often do. And either it's from their background or again, this more primal instinct around money and scarcity and fear. So, you know, Cami, the word, the poignant word that really stands out to me in what you said is fear. Because I think when I really did a deeper dive into my own scarcity mindset, that the underlying issue was fear. Fear of having to go back and work for corporate America again. Fear of having to be at the grocery store and putting things back, even though it doesn't make sense as a fear. I think that that was really important that you shared that. And also that here are these you know, wealthy people that you work with that are still experiencing this. And I think it's important for people to hear because if you, wherever you are on the spectrum, understanding just how deep those emotional quote unquote issues really are, I think is important. So Cami, what would you say to people listening or how do you help your clients overcome this kind of mentality? Well, thanks for asking that question, Bree. To start, begin talking about your fears. Start a conversation. And that's really at the crux of the Money Tales podcast that we're trying to demonstrate how to have these conversations. We all know that once you almost label it, or at least start that initial conversation, it makes whatever you're fearful of smaller. Isn't that amazing? Like just by addressing it. Some people talk about naming it. Naming is that first step. And so we really encourage our clients and our listeners to start the conversation. And and we talk about different ways you can to make it less, you know, diving into the deep end. Let's wade in. But we really encourage talking about it. Then it comes with a mindset. So there's that scarcity mindset. And once again, another guest talked at, on the podcast talked about a consciousness mindset, you know, feeling abundance, really living with it, embracing it. And those take a lot of efforts and, and you need to work on this, but it's really the outcome 
is a much more comfortable and happy relationship with money. You know, conversations can be around your values. Uh, you can look at where you spend your money that might suggest these are your values or not. And so there's a lot of different tools that we talk about with our clients to really overcome that scarcity mindset. I love that. And I love the talking about money. I think that that's, you know, such an important piece. And I think that both of you will like this anecdote. And that is that when I, when I was talking with my business coach and she said this and we kind of very quickly, you know, established the scarcity mindset, she told me when I felt those feelings kind of coming up to repeat to myself, I am a money magnet. <laughs> yes. I very I powerful. Magnet. Did it work for you? Oh my gosh, you guys aren't going to believe this. Okay, so she tells me this. The very next day, my neighbor calls me and says, hey, I have this like mortgage statement here for you. I'm assuming you paid online. Should I just recycle it? And I was like, well, I normally would say yes, but I just sold that place. So why don't you bring it over? And she brings it over and it was a $5,000 check. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh, magnet. And it was like, I am a money magnet. <laughs> So to those of you listening, feel free to borrow that mantra. I am a money magnet because it's a good one. Great. That's a wonderful story. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Well, something else that I have kind of seen, and I'm assuming you all see as well too, is the shame and guilt that comes around money. And Sandy, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that and what you've experienced, you know, hearing from clients and from the people on your podcast too. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. So we're really diving into the the emotional side of money and shame and guilt are definitely two emotions that many people feel um, on a range of emotions around money. But if we focus on those, um, and it's interesting because shame and guilt are often paired together, but they're not the same. And so mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that we're really clear: guilt is a feeling that you've done something wrong. So so it's an action you've done something wrong. And if you're feeling guilt around money, it's usually because you think you've done something wrong about money or you maybe you haven't done something um, around money and, and you feel that that's wrong. Shame, on the other hand, is heavier. It's a feeling that you are something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So so you're, you are something wrong, maybe because you have a lot of money or maybe because you don't have any money. These are normal feelings, Brie, and you're right. They can come up for many people around money whether they have a lot of money, just enough money, or more than enough money. And they can stem oftentimes from experiences we've had ourselves. Um, Usually when we were younger and in our formative years, when we were learning about money and experiencing it for the first time. And sometimes these emotions can come up because of experiences other people have had. Uh, Maybe the adults who've raised us uh, or other key figures in our lives who've modeled money actions or, or relationships with for us. Um, so in my experience as a person in this world, and also as a financial advisor, when we're having these strong emotions related to money, whether they're these challenging ones like shame and guilt, whether they're really positive ones like confidence, um, some people suffer from overconfidence, um, some People have feelings of scarcity, as we've talked about in this conversation, or abundance. But in my experience, regardless of of what the emotions are, if they're coming up strongly, that's a really good sign that we should be talking through them with someone else or maybe more than one person. 
Um, Because when we talk through these feelings about money out loud, we hear things that we don't hear when we're just in our own heads. When we're talking out loud with someone else about these feelings, the feelings often get normalized for us because we understand that the folks that we're talking to have experienced these feelings or they know someone who's experienced these feelings and, and we can just talk through them better. And we also have the opportunity in these money conversations about feelings and emotions to learn more about ourselves and our situation. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like you said, sometimes it's normalized, but I think also sometimes when we hear ourselves say the thing out loud, we realize that our our fear was maybe irrational, our guilt or shame was maybe irrational or blown out of proportion. And I think sometimes just hearing it out loud and having somebody else kind of, you know, feed back to you that well, that's that's not a true fear. You're you're not gonna be, you know, not being able to go to Target and get the things you need. Like that's not a rational fear. I think that, you know, all through this conversation so far, you guys have both said a lot about talking it out, saying it out loud. And I think that's so important about all of our emotions and money being an important part of that. That's right, Brie. And I think, you know, talking it out loud and having a sense of curiosity around it, I think is also really helpful because that's when you really build your awareness And instead of critiquing or judging your feelings, you just can have the opportunity to understand them better and Mm. to ask yourself, well, huh, why do I feel this way? And and maybe it's because of a situation like you described, Brie, when you were growing up. You didn't have as much paper products around you and having them around you now is making you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's great. You should thrive with that, right? So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I appreciate you bringing your your personal experience into the conversation and allowing us to talk about that too, because it's demonstrating this idea of having productive money conversations. Yeah, and something that I know you both have talked about how people, but a lot of times women specifically, don't feel comfortable uh, talking about money. And something I've kind of seen is that. This is something that's come up just for me recently in watching my friends maybe go through a divorce or things like that is just how how many women don't know even their financial picture. You know, they don't know how much their mortgage costs. They don't know how much their husband makes. They don't know where the investments are, those kind of things, which has been really interesting. And I am hoping that you guys can talk a little bit about – the driving force behind money tales and kind of where the piece of speaking to women fits in. So Cammie, do you mind talking a little bit more about the podcast and all the things? I love talking about the podcast, so it'd be my pleasure. <laughs> you know, Money Tales, the the origin story, the short version, Sandy and I, as you mentioned, are partners at Experient. I'm the chief marketing officer. Sandy's the chief client officer. And in our functions, you know, it was it's a natural place for us to think about how can we bring to life what we do for clients every day. Okay. So that's where we decided on the medium, a podcast. And when we thought about, you know, we we invest our clients' assets, we do so much for our clients. But what they often tell us is how appreciative they have us to be able to have these intimate money conversations. So appreciative. And we, you know, it's like, why is that? Why is money a taboo topic? And what can we do to bring to life what we get to do with our clients every day? 
And that was the birth of, of money tales. Like how do we productively, how can we demonstrate productive money conversations? And so we do that with one guest every week. And it's really beautiful because what Sandy talked about, this curiosity, getting curious. Sometimes that's hard to do with yourself. But if you have a friend, you know, a, a, a partner, anybody who can help you get curious or ask these questions. And so we get to do that on the Money Tales podcast. And it's all about tell your story. And then we get to dive in and really understand, well, when did money start having meaning? What's your relationship with money? What's, what does that mean? And go deep with, with the guests. And it's been really a beautiful way. And we've received such fabulous feedback to hearing people, how we've impacted their lives, that they, they're talking more about money. Um, it's impacted my life, Brie. I'm having better money conversations with my husband, with friends, and with younger generations. And so it's really been a, a wonderful experience. Not only do we create these amazing relationships with our guests, listeners tell us how we've impacted their lives. And that's just an important, you know, it just really fuels us. Wow. I think that's so amazing. And I, I love the idea behind the conversations and you've been hearing that it's impacted you because I do think that when we have conversations, when we promote having conversations about money, it gives other women permission to do the same, to, to kind of take away some of the stigma of that. So I think that that's so important and I love the concept behind the podcast. And it's actually a really interesting listen too. Even if you think you don't have any interest in the money or financial world, it's an interesting listen. So at the end of the show and in the show notes, I'm going to give more information on the podcast. But in the meantime, Sandy, is there a quote unquote tale that has stood out to you? I'm sure there are many, but is there one that you'd be willing to share today? Oh my gosh, Brie, it's so hard to come up with one. <laughs> every every conversation we have on Money Tales is a true gift. Our guests get vulnerable. They share their life experience. You know, oftentimes we read about things in magazines and books and we get a glimpse into what real life might be like. But on Money Tales, we are talking to real life human beings and they're sharing their stories with us vulnerably. And so I, I think rather than share one tale, I'll just give you a range. And, and I know um, your podcast is focused on women. Um, so I want to share some of the stories that we've heard from women. Uh, we talked to women and men on the show. Um, just the way it's turned out, we've talked to far more women, which is really interesting. But here's some of the stories we've heard. We've heard what it's like to be a breadwinner mom. We've heard what it was like for a guest to learn that as the top salesperson in her large tech organization, that her male counterpart, who wasn't bringing in as much business as her, was earning a lot more money than she was because he asked and she didn't. We've learned what it was like for a guest when her grandfather made a significant gift to her university while she was going to school there, naming one of the schools after the family. And all of her professors and peers identified her as being part of that family and started treating her differently. We've heard what it was like for a woman of color who was a single teenage mom. Um, and as she told us, she was a statistic that, that society was ready to write off but she wanted more from life and she worked her tail off and now she's a successful entrepreneur and those two sons she's been raising are, are launched successfully into the world. So there's so many tales. There's something interesting in every single conversation. And we really hope that folks will listen and be 
motivated, empowered to have more of these conversations with people in their lives because the world is full of money tales. Everyone has something interesting to share about money in their life. It's just a matter of whether or not they'll share it. Wow. You had such a wide variety that you just shared there that all sounds so interesting. And I think a lot of stories of overcoming things too, which I think is a really important part of a money story as well. So do you mind talking a little bit about your own money tale, Sandy? Of course. Um, so my my money tales sort of tethered in my youth. So when I grew up, the oldest of three children, and this is relevant because my youngest sibling, who's my brother, who's seven and a half years younger than me, has a whole different money tale because life was very different for him when he was in those key growing up years. But in mine, when I was about seven years old, our dad started his own business. It was landscape design and construction. And that's a business that's very much tied to the economy, Bree. And he was starting his business in the um, late 70s, early 80s, and it was a hard economic time. People didn't have a lot of extra money to pour into their landscape. And so in my household, my parents were arguing about money a lot. And I mean, all shouting matches, it just drove me crazy. And my takeaway from the conversations was that, geez, there's got to be a better way. Like there's, there's got to be a way to live life as an adult. <laughs> with money that where you're not um, yelling about it. And also because my dad at that time was the main breadwinner of the family, I took away a story of, well, geez, maybe that's what I need to do. I need to make sure that I can always earn enough money to take care of myself and my family and not be reliant on anyone else. So that kind of guided me into my life. When I learned about financial planning when I was in college, I was hooked. I knew I wanted to work in this field because I wanted to help people have very satisfying relationships with money, make really good decisions for themselves. And as it turns out in my um, my family life, I am the breadwinner in our family. Um, I have a very open and productive marriage with my husband. Uh, we're, we're truly partners. Uh, he does contribute financially to the, to the family, but he does a lot of other things too in terms of helping raise our kids. So it's been a really nice approach, but it's all based on those early years of my life. Wow. And I encourage everyone listening to kind of do some reflecting on your childhood and those scenes, you know, which I mean, it sounds like for you that that's probably what it is, flashes of scenes of these fights and, um, you know, your dad working so hard and all of the things. And I know that everyone listening has that, even if they've never thought about it in regards to their money story. So thank you for sharing that. And we share in common, my um, younger siblings are 17 and 20 years younger than me. And hands down, they grew up in a different world than I did. Um, so I think that that's an interesting um, thing that you pointed out too, that even those, you know, seven and a half years made a really big difference in the way that your household was running when you were younger. So that, That's right, Bri. And so it, there's an in interesting observation there, and that is not only are we influenced if, from a financial relationship standpoint with money um, by the household we were growing up in, but the greater society and what's happening around us in the world also has an influence. So I think that's important to point out. Oh, absolutely. I graduated college in 1999, and it was supposedly <laughs> the best year to graduate from college. I graduated with a BA in Spanish. I was literally told by the college counselor, you'll never get a job because you only have a Spanish degree, 
And I had multiple companies. I was already working on salary at Caterpillar and had multiple offers because the economy was booming in 1999. So all of a sudden the world is my oyster. So I think that that's an important thing to point out too, that where you were in the world at different times economically makes a big difference. I mean, think about, you know, our grandparents growing up in the depression. Wow. That has impacted them so much, you know? So I think that's a really important thing you pointed out. So thanks for sharing that. Okay. So Cammie, it's your turn. Do you feel comfortable sharing your money tale? Absolutely. And I'm glad we're talking about our backstories. It's actually something we we always start the Money Tales podcast on because we find all right everybody's uh, formative years really influence their perspective on money. Doesn't mean it, it has to be that way. You know, you can be intentional and change what you learned in those years. So for me, I was raised in an immigrant family, or that was our our lore. All of my grandparents came from the former Yugoslavia with no money and no education. And so we were taught both overtly and, and, and sort of subtly two things. You work hard and you save your money. You save it for a rainy day because you don't know when it's coming. And so that's a big part of you know, my money story. And so I can find myself being very hoarding of, of cash, if you will. And I've had to work on being more intentional and it's okay to have, you know, my, my thoughts and my beliefs, but make sure it's intentional that I do want to be saving in that manner. What, what is money for? And my husband is on a different end of that comfort level around spending. And so the two of us, it's, it's great to have those conversations and push each other a little bit as far as the spending and the saving goes. And it's been a fun journey for me when I think back of being more, I remember when I was being more intentional about what money meant to me. And it was really in my 30s. What is it for? What am I passionate about? I love travel. I love friendships and being really excited about spending money in those areas. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's interesting, you know, that coming from an immigrant family where I'm imagining everyone was working so hard for everything that they had, you know, setting that as a model to you and of saving money. Because it's interesting. I think that there's also the piece of money that if we don't have it, if it is a source of you know, problems. So for both of you, so for, you know, Sandy, for example, where you're saying, I didn't want to have a life, you know, money was a source of, you know, fear or I, there were fighting and all of these things. I think sometimes it does propel you. It drives you in a way that you unconsciously don't even realize. So, you know, growing up for me with nothing, I was super scrappy. I was mm -hmm. selling popcorn and lemonade at the pool as a kid. I was telling fortunes, you know, at the playground. I you know, was doing everything I possibly could to make money because I didn't grow up in a place where, you know, I got the new jeans or whatever. And I truly believe that that is what made me an entrepreneur. And so I think sometimes that story, those hard things from, you know, those formative years, you use that term, I like that term, sometimes it ends up being the biggest, you know, force in changing our generational money story. And I think that's so valuable. Absolutely. That's right. 
All right. Well, one of the things that I loved reading about you both, and Cammie, you touched on this a little bit. On the Experient website, they had asked you, if you were not working at Experient, what would you be doing? And I love that you said you'd be teaching surfing in Costa Rica with your daughters and your husband. And I'm just wondering if you could talk more about that because I love that so much and it speaks to my inner spirit. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what it is. It's like, it's an inner spirit. It's less about the actual action, but I, so I'm, I'm a beach girl. I love sun and sand and surf in the ocean um, I haven't surfed much, but I have done some surfing and I, I find it, it's challenging. It's, you're one with nature. You can't think about anything else when you're out there. So I love that. And I have two young daughters, uh, eight and six, and my husband is from Ireland. So he tends to not love this son as the, 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 the same way I do, which we always laugh about. He's going to be under the under the um, umbrella, and I'm I'm underneath the sun, just soaking in that vitamin D. For, to me, it's like it's what it's freedom, it's playful, it's creative, and that's really what kind of going back to what my money is for. And I love I love what I do at Experience. So actually, I'm really thrilled that I can come in every day and do something I'm passionate about. But when I get to do my creative and be with my family, that's what I want to do. I want to be in warm weather. I want to be on a beach. And wouldn't it be fun to be able to teach people an activity that's that's so powerful and so beautiful? I love that. I think it's so fun. I, and I think everyone should kind of think about that. Like what would be your, you know, your dream thing? And like you said, you're not even really that big of a surfer and you're like, I would teach surfing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love that. We played this game at our um, Caesar Midlife Retreat where we went around the room and said, like one person would ask the other person, if you could do anything, it would be. And we had people just answer like, we did it multiple times and say like, don't be, don't edit yourself. Don't be like, it's not practical. And so I loved people's answers because they went from something super serious to like, I would write a book to I would be a trapeze artist. (laughs) Sure. I love that. Great question. Yeah. It's a fun party starter. So... (laughs) Okay. Well, now what about you, Sandy? Talk about your time in Machu Picchu because I love that too. Oh, it's funny. I'm noticing the Spanish connection between Costa Rica and your background, Brie. Yes. (laughs) So um, a long time ago, a dear friend of mine got married in Lima, Peru to a wonderful Peruvian woman. And as part of their honeymoon, they took all of um, the gringos who came down from the United States to uh, Machu Picchu uh, or to that general area. And we all hiked uh, to Machu Picchu. It was a four-day hike. There's probably about 15 of us. It was so fun. I'd never done an outdoor adventure like that. So it was uh, a, a big push for me. Uh, I, I was doing a lot of hiking in the Bay Area to prepare, but there's nothing that could prepare me for being at such high altitudes. And I felt literally like I was on top of the world, uh, being on these ancient steps where um, you know hundreds and, and probably thousands of people over the centuries have, have walked through. So um, that was a great personal accomplishment for me, especially day two when you know, we get to the highest part of the peak. I remember I couldn't take more than six steps without stopping and breathing for a while, uh, which was another great reminder of the importance of, of breath. 
Oh my gosh. I love both of these things. And like you said, there's the tie of Spanish, but also anyone that knows me knows that my true love above all things is travel. And so I've been to both places, both Costa Rica and Machu Picchu. And just both of both of those things, I think the reason why I brought it up is just because they speak to my my soul so yeah. much. You know what it makes me think of in Costa what? Rica? In Costa Rica, they have a saying, but I think of this this region has the same feeling, pura vida. Yep. Yep. Pure life. Yep. And I love that it's about, you know, not just doing, it's about cherishing simple pleasures. And yes. that's it. That's 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 totally a great mantra in my mind. Yes. My sister and I, um, that's who I travel with, my little sister. We actually just got back from um, a big adventure. We do a big adventure every year. And I always say, la buena vida, like the good uh, life, because it's you know, you look around and you're like, are you kidding me? Are we here? Like, is this really happening? La buena vida. So I think it's a good sentiment and a nice segue to talk about how money is a tool. And I think thinking about money as a tool is such an important like mind shift because, you know, when I grew up, there was almost this like attitude that wealth was bad or ostentatious. And when you think about money as a tool, for example, for me, and it sounds like for both of you too, travel, it's the tool for me to be able to travel. It's the tool for me to be able to pay for my sister to come along with me. It's the tool to have freedom of my days, which is probably my most important core value is freedom. So can you talk about CND? Do you help your clients see money more as a tool? Well, Brie, we I appreciate what you're what you're bringing to life here, and it's something we hear a lot on the Money Tales podcast. A lot of people think about money as a tool, and when it comes to the work that we're doing with our clients at Experian, I think we're we're really meeting every client where they are. So we're focused on getting to know them, like really deeply. Who are they? What's most important to them? Who's most important to them? What's the purpose of the wealth? What are they looking to achieve? And through those conversations, we're learning about each client's money story too. It's an important part of the discovery process so that we really know who they are because we can't help them get to where they want to be if we don't know who and where they are today. So understanding their perspectives about money and their relationship with money is important to all of this and it helps us work with them more effectively. And we have the opportunity to help our clients identify what money scripts are helping them, which, if any, are getting in the way. And um, I thought maybe it would be helpful to, to bring a, a client's story to this conversation to bring some of this to life. Um, so I work with a couple. Um, they are both uh, very type A personalities, were very successful corporate executives, and had children later in life. And they got to a point when their kids were probably five or six years old where they decided they wanted to stop working. They wanted to spend time with their children. And they were in their midlife. And this was a really big decision for them. And we did a lot of coaching and modeling and helping them understand what that would be like because these are people who worked really hard and, and were generating income and never had to live off of a portfolio. And what we saw was that in the early stages of their taking this time away, that they were really uncomfortable spending money. It just felt too foreign to them and they were, were trying not to spend very much money. But we were able to bring in these conversations about their values, about the purpose, about why they decided to stop working 
And we pointed out they're at a point in their life where they're going to be the healthiest and youngest they'll ever be from this point forward. And we're really able to help them in, in, in fact, give them permission because that's what they needed to have more flexibility around their financial resources and to take time as a family traveling because that was something that was really important to them. And they had realized that they had stopped doing when they stopped working. Um, so it's been really fun. They've had some amazing adventures. We've had more conversations recently about um, maybe backing off the travel a little bit because they do have a, a goal to remain financially independent. So it's been uh, really interesting. So looking at that as money as a tool is helpful, but for them, they needed to just get comfortable with a change in their money story, moving from a period of of working and generating income to a period of living off of the wealth that they had accumulated and being comfortable uh, pursuing the lifestyle that they wanted and knowing that the how much they could spend and what they needed to do to keep that lifestyle going for the rest of their lives. Wow. That is really fascinating. And thank you for sharing that because I think, you know, everyone listening is in midlife. And so what you said about this is the youngest and healthiest you're going to be from this point forward, <laughs> it's, it's kind of depressing, but also. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Meant, it's meant to be empowering. And- no, but I think I, I like to say this phrase of illumination by gunpoint that like at some point in our lives, like we have to be like, holy crap, there is a little bit of a sense of urgency and, you know, time is ticking and you are at your youngest. And I say it's not like a morbid thing. It's more a motivator. And so I I think that's a really good thing to point out. And the other thing that's interesting is that my gut reaction when you said that, when you said they're in midlife and they're doing that is, well, are they are going to go back to work, right? Because that is like, speaks to my own fear of running out of money. So I thought that that was interesting that that's what that, what came up for me when you told that story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, see, this is the magic of, of talking about money and, and sharing personal stories. Now that one wasn't my, my own story, but, but yeah, for, for this couple, they didn't want to go back to work. They don't want to go back to work. They do do some consulting and some board work. So they, they have some streams of income, but they do not want to go back to a, a life of, of working nine to nine or whatever, you know, their hours were previously. Nor do I. So <laughs> nor do I. So you're clear um, on your yes. goals, Bree. This is great. Amen. <laughs> okay. So one thing that I wanted to talk about in working in business, I have seen such a different way that women value their services so differently than men, their services or their products. So for example, I feel like a man, if something costs, you know, $2,000, they're like, it's $2,000. And you kind of hear a woman intro this in almost an apologetic way. Well, it's $2,000, but it's, you know, it's this, it's homemade, it's blah, blah. And I could probably find you a discount. Like they start kind of backpedaling the second they say the price. And I just think, Gosh, what is that about? So, Cammie, what do you do? You have any insight on this, and have you seen that too? Yes, and it's unfortunate. I've seen it. We we've talked about it on Money Tales. I think um, it's less about like you know why is it you're right. So societal, likely. I mean, so many influences come into this. 
but what can we do to change this? And I, that's what I'm really passionate about. Like, let, and I do think talking about it is key. And, and we've on our, our podcast, Money Tales, we've talked about with guests and they've raised having accountability partners people that hold you, you know, you're going to achieve these goals, you're going to price it more appropriately, whatever, and they hold you to it. Having mastermind groups to talk about that and ask people, what do you, you know, because we're so good with each other, females, like, ah, Sandy, you're great. You're worth so much more. And, you know, like the other person sort of looks at you and like, really? And I, right. that, that works, that works for us. So I think talking about it, Finding your your mastermind group, your accountability partner. I think even just acknowledging it that I have this tendency. You know, there's there's studies saying that women won't apply for a job unless they feel they tick all the boxes, and a man will apply for a job if he only ticks fifty of them. We just need to keep talking about that and acknowledging it, so that we we break it down, so these women feel more confident to go in and price accordingly. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, that's awesome. And so one thing that I I really am hoping you can just touch on a little bit is why specifically in midlife should the women listening start paying attention to their money more than ever? What are your thoughts on that, Sandy? I think midlife is a glorious time for women. Um maybe because that's where I am in my life, but I I really believe it because we have experience, we have wisdom, we can look back on our journey so far, where have we come, what challenges have we faced, how did we get through those challenges, and where are we going, and how are we going to get there? And so it's this beautiful time period, and in terms of money, Brie, it's a great time to really make sure that we're feeling confident and empowered about our personal financial situations. And for some of us, that might be learning more about those situations, paying attention to things that we didn't really pay attention to before. We might have um, you know, delegated to our partner because we were busy doing something different. Um, I, I think there's so much power that comes from knowledge about what is and having curiosity around what you want it to be if you're looking for a change or you're looking to do something different in your life and and, and you realize that money is a part of, of every aspect of life. So I think this is a great time to, to really get your arms around your financial situation. And if you're already there, then celebrate that leverage it, uh, make sure that, that you're going after what's most important to you. That's awesome. And so, Cammie, can you talk a little bit about the services that you guys provide at Experient um, so that people can understand a little bit better if they're interested in diving in more to this conversation? Absolutely. And we welcome that. Free. That's even if it's just to learn about the space. So Asperient, we are a comprehensive wealth management firm. We're an independent firm, so we are owner-operated, really passionate about helping our clients achieve their financial goals. And Sandy talked about this. What's the purpose of the wealth? That's what it's all about. Like That's what we're here to accomplish. So uh, at the core of every client relationship or at the foundation, we're investing their assets and we're doing so mindfully to achieve those goals. But 
at the core of the relationship is having money conversations, uh, bringing to life what the goals and values are, and then executing on that. And that's where the tactical stuff comes in, like the 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 tax planning and implementation, the you know the insurance review and the estate planning and all that, making sure all the ducks are in order, really, so our clients can go and enjoy life. Like right. We don't, there is something funny about money. And I think women in particular feel like we need to know everything. We need to maybe even do it all ourselves. And where in life do we have to know everything and do everything ourselves? Nowhere, nowhere. So that's where Asperian steps in and, and we're really passionate about, you know, being the comprehensive wealth manager for our clients. In some cases, if people are familiar with this term, we actually act as their family office. Um, so it's really the spectrum of services based off the needs of our clients and they're all individuals and families. And, and you know what that means? That means that they really do more think from their, you know, their, their decisions are at the heart level. Their fears are at the heart level. We can rationalize at the head level and that's, you know, of course that's what we do, but it's, it, they're humans and we get to talk to them at that level and really help them connect to their values and achieve their goals and dreams. I love that. And I love that you're both women um, yeah. because I think that women really seek out, you know, that that conversation is different with another woman. So I appreciate that and that you have those services. And Sandy, would you mind just telling everyone where they can find you if they're more interested in, you know, finding out more about Experian, but of course also the podcast. Tell everyone where we can find you guys. Thanks, Bree. Um, well, the best place to find us is at Experient.com, and you can start a dialogue with us there. Cami and I are also active on LinkedIn, and the Money Tales podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. So all you have to do is search it, and we um, we we hope you'll listen in, and um, we'd love to hear about your Money Tales. So reach out and let us know what it is. Awesome. And I will put all of this in the show notes as well. So it'll be easy access for everyone. <laughs> but thanks so much for this great conversation today. I think it's something that's so important. And again, just bringing that conversation to the forefront. So thank you both. Bree, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bree, thanks for your work as well. What a fabulous uh, platform and conversation you led us through. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. As always, I am humbled and grateful that you tune in. If you can so kindly subscribe to the podcast, I would really appreciate it. And in the meantime, have a beautiful day. I'm ready for you. Thanks.